From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Emily Ernson. This is your news for Tuesday, September 12th. The geese at Old City Park got some new friends on Monday. State wildlife biologists released about 30 round-tailed chub into the pond as part of a statewide project to boost the native fish population. Roundtail like many of our native species in the Colorado River system, have been on the decline. This is Tyler Arnold, a wildlife biologist with the Division of Wildlife Resources. And actions like this actually help propagate and promote these fish so they don't end up on the endangered species list. Propagation gives us the ability to actually put these fish back into the system and expand their numbers so maybe they can thrive a little better. Round-tailed chub are endemic to the Colorado River system. They're only found in the Four Corners region and parts of California. In the past couple decades, dams and droughts throughout the river system have hurt their numbers. And on top of low water levels, invasive species in the river system, like shiners, catfish, and bass, have been throwing the whole native fish ecosystem out of whack. You know, these fish kind of interacted with the other native fish, like suckers and Colorado pike minnow. You know, they were a food source for Colorado pike minnow. So they're kind of one of the stepping stones to the pyramid uh, that we have for our, our ecosystem. What would be considered a success, like this time next year, how many fish? Well, based on the age of these fish, I, I don't expect to have spawning next year. I expect the year after that. For me, success would be in the next two years if I start seeing little fry on the shoreline. That's eggs or what? No, it's like these little guys oh. swimming around. Yeah, fry. Um, so they, they've emerged from their egg. They're hitting the shoreline, you know, using cover and stuff like that, looking for different food sources to grow. Arnold says eventually they'll release some of the chub at Old City Park back into the Dolores River where they came from. We'd like to put them in the exact same spot until we get a better understanding of how we can continue to propagate these. And then as our management plan develops more for how we want to address round tail and watersheds, then like Mill Creek would be next. You know, we want to stay with nearest neighbor because then we start getting into genetic issues. Like what kind of genetic issues? Maybe these fish in Dolores are more apt to deal with warm temperature, like two or three degrees warmer. They just developed that way over the last couple thousands of years versus a population in the San Rafael may be used to a colder temperature. But once you mix them in like the same watershed, one would do better than the other because of just that slight variation in the genetic code, you know, that, and those are the considerations we have, we want to keep because once we start mixing, then we start having conversations about, oh, are we playing too much of a role with the environment? Okay. That's interesting. That's an interesting line to draw because, I mean, you're already like putting them in here, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. The pond at Old City Park has been kind of an unofficial ecological experiment in the past few years. In 2021, the city had to remove non-native carp because they were so big they were eating ducklings. They've also had to remove goldfish from the pond. You know, somebody didn't want to get rid of their pet a different way, so they put it on the natural environment. The pond is also home to a couple farm geese. <laughs> So the, the people get them for their backyards to protect their chickens and stuff like that. Okay. They don't fly. <laughs> so somebody had to dump that here. <laughs> Arnold says the geese aren't interested in eating fish. Neither are the ducks that live there. In fact, the round-tailed chub are the only fish living in the pond right now. Arnold and his co-workers did a survey of the pond earlier this year to make sure the round-tailed chub wouldn't be competing with other species. Oh, turtle! Is that okay? Yeah. Not really. <laughs> we saw about five of them when we walked up today and we're like, where did those come from? Because they weren't here when we did the road note. <laughs> Wait, really? Mm. Oh, I've seen the turtles here ever since I lived here. Oh, see, I had, yeah, we didn't see, I didn't see any because we did it in October, I feel like. And I don't remember seeing the turtles when we did the road note treatment. The turtles can be problematic because we do like to eat fish if they're big enough. Okay.
And I know that whenever you're introducing a, a new animal to a new ecosystem, it can go awry really quickly. Is there any dangers with like putting these here? We had to do a quarantine on these fish because in the Dolores River, we do have Asian clam, um, which is an invasive species we have in the Colorado River system. We've basically been having to starve them for the last three days so that they can expel and kind of purge themselves. So, Because there was a possibility there were like eggs in their body? Exactly. Yep. They could have eaten them. And if the Asian clam villagers or eggs were at a certain age where they were like a small shell, they actually can pass through the whole digestive system un- unscathed. Is there a reason why you chose this pond? We're hoping that this elevation and temperature and the food availability in this pond will be perfect for these guys to survive in. But it was actually really just kind of a collaboration with the city of Moab. They were wanting to do something with the, this pond. It had carp and goldfish prior to it. And, you know, they came to the division asking, how, what can we do with this to make it more natural, you know? How does this compare to a natural round-tailed chub habitat? Very different. Round-tailed preferred to be in, you know, river systems, large river systems like the Dolores, Colorado, the Green River, and the San Rafael River. So this is going to be a little bit of a different situation for them, but they can survive. They've It's been successful in Wyoming. They've done the same kind of activity. We actually have another round-tailed pond um, near Price that we've been working on that we've been doing the same thing. So will they be able to spawn in here even though it's not running water? They can, yeah. They can find spots as long as it's oxygenated and the temperature is right. They could still spawn. I mean, like I said, other states have had success with round-tailed spawning in other ponds. You can find more information about the round-tailed chub nursery at Old City Park in today's show notes. There's been an unusual bounty of mushrooms in northwestern Wyoming this year, and an effort is underway to document them, the first of its kind in more than 40 years. For KHOL, Emily Cohen reports. It's a damn Saturday here in the Tetons, and 71-year-old Benji Sinclair is ready to hunt. Hunt for mushrooms, that is. More botany. I like to take people on walks, like what we're doing. This is my favorite thing. (laughs) And teaching people about the diversity. Outfitted with a canvas tote filled with field guides, Sinclair spots mushroom alongside the trail. You're pretty. Little nipples. And I'm pretty sure these are edible. Not very tasty. And they're so small. You're not going to get much of a food, you know. Mushroom season here typically begins in late May and lasts through September, ending when conditions get too dry or too cold. Learning about the diversity in the region is a group effort partly because there isn't a field guide specific to mushroom species in the Tetons. The last survey specific to mushrooms in northwest Wyoming was in 1982. Until now. It's a wood mold? Yeah, it's definitely natural art, too. This spring, Sinclair formed a Facebook group to help document local mushroom varieties an informal citizen science initiative that he hopes will one day lead to a field guide. An ecologist and local wildlife guide, Sinclair says his fascination with mushrooms is a relatively new hobby. I kept seeing really interesting mushrooms. The more I noticed them, uh, the more I wanted to photograph them. So I, I realized there's no like local field guide for mushrooms. And some of them are incredibly fascinating and weird. Um, And the edible ones are delicious. Wild edible mushrooms like morels and chanterelles are a delicacy and usually sell for around $40 a pound. 
but can fetch as high as $200 depending on the conditions and supply. If you know how to find them, though, you've got yourself a free gourmet dinner. It's a, you know, a mystery. It's a, it's a treasure hunt. It's a real treasure hunt. So anybody can do it, and it gets you out. And it's always just a delight to find edible mushrooms anywhere you go. Half the battle in the search for elusive edible mushrooms is understanding when and where to look. Burn scars, dense forests, riverbanks, and they are often secret. Yeah, most foragers don't want to talk about their spots for a good reason. And hopefully they know that they're foraging sustainably by cutting their mushrooms off at the at ground level. It's like it's the same thing with hunting elk. You don't reveal your favorite hunting area to anybody your closest friends and even then it's risky. Sinclair is hosting a mushroom talk at the Teton County Library this month about the edible, the dangerous, the deadly, and the just plain weird. Joining him is Luke Bruner, who studied mycology in graduate school. That's the science of fungi. That there's a concept of evolution being this battle between individuals, and that plays a role in diversification. And that's sort of our common knowledge of evolution is this tooth and nail battle. But life itself is predicated on these mutually beneficial relationships. Bruner says he certainly appreciates a meal of sautéed chanterelles with garlic and butter, but is most fascinated by the role mushrooms play in the ecosystem. So the first land plants already had fungi associated with them. The first large organisms on Earth were these prototaxis, you know, 10-foot-tall mushroom bodies. It's a different way of looking at life itself, is that, hey, we're all, we all benefit from each other. So if you respect that and realize that, yes, there's these, these interactions that, that might help shape our identities, but really it's all predicated on helping each other. There appears to be a growing interest in mushrooms, nationally and here in the Tetons. The popular Netflix documentary, Fantastic Fungi, and Michael Pollan's best-selling book, How to Change Your Mind, about the medicinal benefits of psilocybin may have something to do with that. And interest may have grown in the pandemic as more people began exploring wild places. I think it's kind of the part of the back to nature uh, thing with a lot of urban people that really want to get closer to nature. Well, you'll just look at the numbers of people that are going camping for the first time. I think it's just a fascination with the oddities of nature. Social media has a lot to do with it. There's a gazillion mushroom sites. Mushrooms are good for your health, but consuming the wrong type can be dangerous. There were a few prominent mushroom poisonings just this year, and two people died from undercooked morels, cultivated overseas and eaten at a Bozeman sushi restaurant. Sinclair cautions foragers to be extra careful, too. There are old mushroom hunters. There are bold mushroom hunters. But there are no old, bold mushroom hunters. I don't consider myself an old or bold mushroom hunter, but I do love it, especially if it means a delicious meal afterwards. Just don't ask me to reveal my secret foraging spots. For KHOL, I'm Emily Cohen.
And that's the KZNU News for Tuesday, September 12th. Get your community-powered journalism weekdays on the airwaves at noon and 6 p.m. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.